Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Every great gift giver needs two things. A well-manicured calendar to remember birthdays and anniversaries, and a one-stop shopping site that has amazing gifts for every occasion. That's why I use Celebrations Passport from the 1-800-Flowers family of brands. Celebrations Passport gives me free shipping on thousands of amazing gifts. And the more gifts I give, the more perks and rewards I earn. Learn more at 1-800-Flowers.com slash ACAST. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash ACAST. Hey, book lovers. My name is Em, and I want to talk about books. And cats. Hey, book lovers, welcome back. I'm sorry I missed last week's episode. I was supposed to have a chat with poet and friend of the pod, Claire Tom, about her newest project, but I got a really bad sore throat and lost my voice for three days. So that was fun. (laughs) That's really the only downside of podcasting is you can't do it without a voice. And honestly, things may continue to be inconsistent for a bit longer. I am going to really try to put out weekly episodes for the rest of this season, but the holidays are upon us. And honestly, it's a difficult time with a lot of mixed emotions, and I don't always want to read or podcast. And plus, it's a hectic time of year anyway, but I am going to try. That was a lot of excuses, I know. (laughs) And what will be will be, I guess. But I just don't want to add any more stress to my life right now. But I will definitely be back with weekly episodes for season three in 2023. And I am bringing back story time with M as well. So I am super excited for next year already. But for now, let's get into an excellent book that I just read. I want to talk about The Better Spy by P.A. Duncan. So I have had this book on my Kindle for a while. I heard about this author through friend of the pod, Carol James Marshall, and I was in the mood for a good spy novel. Honestly, when I have a book on my Kindle, sometimes, because I'm usually reading, you know, a regular paper book or listening to an audiobook, I don't always consider my Kindle books, but I have some really good ones on there, and One day, I was just waiting for my kids after school, and I'd gotten there a little early, and I was psyched to find that I had an unread book on there and that it was this one because I remembered being excited to read this. Anyway, this book was really interesting because it is a collection of short stories, but they all feature the same group of characters. So each story can easily stand alone, but if you read it straight through, it also tells a story like a novel. It's really beautifully done. As much as I love reading, I'm also very interested in, like, how books are put together and how a story is told, and I really like the way this one was told. So the main person in most of the stories is named Mae Fisher. 
She's an extremely talented spy whose whole life is shaken by a bombing that didn't go as she planned. And people died. Now, these people were targets, and they were not necessarily innocents, although some of them were. And this is definitely not the first time that she's killed people. She's very good at what she does. But for some reason, this one has shaken her badly. The stories leading up to the bombing are interwoven with stories of what happens as she tries to continue on afterward. She is married to another spy and desperate to get back into her groove. But she is struggling. Slowly, the reason that this job affected her so much is revealed, and it adds even more depth to May's complex character. I was completely engrossed in the stories the whole time, and the end hit me kind of like a punch in the gut, really. I didn't expect it, and it was kind of a different vibe from all of the others. It's a different side of May. This is a really excellent book, and I definitely recommend The Better Spy by P.A. Duncan. I'm going to check out more of her work for sure. (laughs) So now I want to talk about cats for a minute. It is the Books and Cats podcast. (laughs) If you've been listening for a while, you may remember that last year we had a visitor who we named Smokey Christmas. We tend to get what we call Christmas cats pretty regularly. We're near some farms and a cornfield, and they just kind of find their way to our back porch um, when it gets cold. (laughs) And we are a family of animal lovers, so we obviously do what we can for these animals. Some of them want to join the household, and they do. (laughs) And others, like Smoky Christmas, prefer to stay outside. So Smoky Christmas came to us last year right around Christmas time, and he was looking rough. He was very thin. He had matted fur. He just looked really old and wild, you know? I should mention here that he is actually a fluffy black cat like Edward, but at the time he looked kind of gray because of all the mats and the dirt. Now, Smoky Christmas is a survivor. <laughs> he lives outside and he looks like he has for quite some time, and he's not really interested in coming inside, but we have been giving him food. Now he shows up at feeding time and waits outside the door. Our back door is glass, and the other animals can look at him. It's really bizarre when Weird sits by the window and faces him, because other than a slightly different face shape, they look almost identical. It's wild. And of course, Weird was a Christmas kitty, so who knows, they could be related. (laughs) I will say Smoky Christmas has plumped up a bit since he returned. We were honestly thrilled to see him this year because he stopped coming by last winter when things were really, really cold, and we kind of thought he might have passed. But like I said, Smoky Christmas is a survivor, and we were very happy to see him back. So now I'm going to take a quick break, and when I come back, I will have the quote of the week, and my weekly writing project is back. So I will have a new chapter of that for you as well. Be right back. Hey, book lovers. I've got a new book coming out soon. It's a collection of short stories called 3.33 AM. And if you're interested in reading it or any of my other books, you should check out frappmedia.com. I also write plays for kids that you can find there as well. And we will also soon be offering sound and video work at a reasonable cost. 
So check out Frapp Media, that's F-R-A-P-P-M-E-D-I-A dot com for all things written by me, M. <laughs> Welcome back, book lovers. Now it's time for the quote of the week. And this week, since the book was about a spy, I looked up quotes about hiding. Because <laughs> sometimes I just don't know what to do for the quote. I found this quote by Donald Woods Winnicott. Artists are people driven by tension between the desire to communicate and the desire to hide. And I really like this quote. I think it's pretty accurate. I had no idea who this guy was, and I'm always a little hesitant to put quotes of people I don't know just because who knows, you know. (laughs) So I checked out Wikipedia real quick. He was an English pediatrician and psychoanalyst who was especially influential in the fields of object relations theory and developmental psychology. I have no idea what object relations theory is. I also looked a little further, and some of his pediatric work led to the development of a concept concerning the holding environment, which basically means, like, the best thing for a baby is to be held by its mom. So, yeah, I agree with that. (laughs) Anyway, I liked the quote, and that's who this guy was. Okay, so I am getting close to being ready to publish my book of short horror stories. It's called 3.33 a.m., and honestly, I'm pretty pleased with how it's turned out. I have a really hard time, like, admitting that I like my stuff, but I'm pretty happy with this one. So because I'm getting closer to being done with that one, I finally had some time to go back to my weekly writing project. I kind of needed to refresh myself on it before I could start writing again. (laughs) So if you're new to the podcast, I have been challenging myself to write a chapter a week of a story. Currently, this one is called Ocean Eyes. And then I read the chapter on the podcast uh, without any editing. It just comes straight from my brain to you guys. So this is a fantasy tale, and I don't think that there's really a good way to catch you guys up on the story or the book that came before this one, which it references vaguely. So you're welcome to go back and refresh your memory with older episodes, but I'm just going to jump back into it today with chapter 10, and we'll just keep moving forward, because sometimes that's the best way. I was excited to find that I could jump back into this story after taking so many months off and not thinking about this story at all, honestly. And I am really looking forward to working on it again. So, yay. (laughs) So now without further ado, here is Chapter 10 of Ocean Eyes. Enjoy. Rhea stumbled over a root and cursed. Marina stifled a laugh. She hovered just above the ground and floated smoothly through the forest. Rhea was more uncoordinated now. Whatever she had done to return, something had gone wrong. She didn't seem to have full control of her body anymore, but she refused to acknowledge it. Marina, however, hadn't felt this alive in decades. The effort it took to deny her gifts had weighed her down more than she'd realized. Accepting her wings and letting them free had filled her with a tidal wave of magic, and her blood was buzzing with it. She could have navigated the forest in minutes, but Rhea insisted that she walk. It was better to go slow. She was on high alert and looking for any sign of Yada. The girl was not due back quite yet, but she had a feeling that something wasn't right. 
For some reason, she felt she had to search the woods for the girl. So she did. When they finally reached the village, Morena was even more certain something was wrong. Even before they found the cottage door ajar and stepped into a pristine house that was filled with a dark energy that gagged them and sent them running back outside. Rhea dropped to her knees and retched on the lawn. Morena felt like her insides were burning. Her lungs ached and she began coughing a sharp, painful barks that brought up shiny globs of a sticky substance that glittered in the sunlight and moved of its own accord through the grass. Marina tried to grasp at it as it slithered past her, but she couldn't stop coughing. The pain was too much. More goo joined the nasty parade and it collected in the doorway of Yara's cottage. A strange shadow hovered behind it. Then they became one shimmery mass that floated away from the house and down the road. It passed through the village, but no one seemed to see it. The coughing fit was finally over, and Morena collapsed onto the grass and rolled onto her back. Her chest still ached, but it was a dulled sensation, like an old bruise. Rhea crawled over and flopped down on the grass beside her. What was that? Rhea spoke in a whisper as if the sound of her voice might call back the creature. Morena didn't answer. She thought she knew what they had just experienced, but it couldn't possibly be. She remembered it vaguely from the beginning of the book, the ancient magic that predated even the old magic of the dark-hearted ones. If that's what they were up against, she might as well go back to her cottage and journey through the mists herself. There was nothing they could do against such a magic. She wondered how anyone could control such power. There had to be someone wielding it, but she couldn't imagine what kind of being could manage it. Rhea sat up and rubbed her forehead. She shielded her eyes from the sun and squinted down the road. People were out and about, but no one seemed to notice them. Morena had noticed this before. It was easier for them to ignore Yada and the strange comings and goings at her house. Until they needed the Death Witch, Morena thought bitterly. Then they would suddenly be able to see her. The thought of her young friend brought Morena to her feet, and she stormed back into the cottage. The air was fine now, and Morena quickly searched the rooms. Rhea tentatively stepped inside as Morena finished her search. Someone was here. There was a trap of some kind. I can't see anything clearly. There's a shadow over everything. What about you? Morena was so intent on seeing through the veil over her intuition that she didn't immediately register Rhea's pale, distraught face. Her normally bronze skin was a sickly, orangey-yellow, and her eyes were dark and full of tears. I can't see anything, she whispered. Her lower lip trembled as she spoke, and the tears edged closer to falling. There's nothing. It's just dark. She turned away and hid her face in her hands. Her shoulders hitched as she sobbed, but Morena didn't try to comfort her. Things were getting worse by the second, and she was growing increasingly more worried about Yada. The girl was in danger, and it was all her fault. Yada didn't remember how she finally passed through the solid stone of her prison cave. She could only remember the pain, and there was no point in focusing on that. She was more curious about where she was now. The walls were smooth gray stone that shimmered with flecks of gold and silver. There were lamps set in the walls, and the floor was a smooth path that descended in a curve from where she currently stood. She'd been eyeing the path for a while. There was a wall behind her, 
and her only option was to follow where it led. But she got no good vibes from the shadows beyond the curve in the wall. She had no idea how far down it went, or where it would lead her. Of course, she really didn't have another choice. She had pressed against the walls and tried everything she could think of to travel back through them, but nothing worked. Yada was only a little sorry about this. The pain was a fresh memory, and she would rather not go through that again. Plus, she knew that someone was waiting for her back there, and he had not had good intentions. She decided it was better to take a chance on the darkness. Not that she had a choice. The floor was smooth and a little slippery. As Yada rounded that first corner, she slipped and fell onto her back. The floor dropped steeply into the darkness, and she slid into it, quickly picking up speed. Her back burned with the friction against the stone. She cried out, and then suddenly the floor dropped away, and she felt a cool nothingness against her skin. It was the briefest moment of relief. And then she began to fall. And that is the end of chapter 10 of Ocean Eyes. I am so excited to be back to my weekly writing project, and I will have another chapter of Ocean Eyes next week. Thanks for sticking with me, book lovers. I will most likely be back next week with a new book to discuss. Thank you so much for listening. Take care of yourselves. And until next time, keep reading. <laughs>